How are you? Woo! Thanks, guys. That was so good this morning. Um, amen? Are you in the same boat? That was very helpful, encouraging, uplifting, and all the other words you could describe. That was great. Um, all right, so for, for all of us this morning that have ever felt about this small, um, when somebody said something or did something or wanted some type of behavior out of us um, to make us feel more spiritual. Um, so that's, that's kind of the direction we're going this morning. Like, and I just want to know that a show of hands. Has anybody ever said anything or done anything or pressed on you or set some rules or did anything in any way to make you feel like, um, all right, well, I guess I'm not that spiritual. Have you been in that boat? You can raise your hand. All right. You are, that's the majority of you. The rest of you, it'll be a good day too. Um, hopefully there's some stuff that you, but, but for us that, like, you've been in that spot, this is a passage where I believe Jesus brings to the heart of the matter um, what we're supposed to do, but also, like, what as leaders we're supposed to be doing. Um, bringing to the heart of what God wants us to be, okay? So we're at Luke chapter 11 and verses 37. Everybody needs this. Either uh, uh, an actual Bible, there should be one in your pew. If not, raise your hand. We'll get you one. Everyone needs to have one. Um, or you can get it on the Conduit Ministries app. There's a Bible. I see anybody else? Another hand. If you guys could help with Bibles in the back, that'd be amazing. Luke chapter 11 and verse 37. Until the end of the chapter, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, to see this with your own eyes, to read this with your own eyes. So I want you, you literally to, to do this. For the next few moments, just quietly, I want you to read through those verses. I want you to be able to see um, the situation that Jesus was in. Okay? So just take a few minutes and read through that. Again, that's Luke chapter 11 and verses 37 to the end of the chapter. I'll give you a few minutes. And just look up front whenever you're um, finished, okay? Super. It's up on the screen, too. Awesome. It's like magic. pray. God, we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for examples like this that you're not afraid to step on toes. So I ask this morning that, that you would step on toes. <laughs> Mine first. Um, I'd ask that your word would, would reveal to us um, maybe where we're missing the boat. But at the same time, that we would see the heart of the matter. That we'd see the point. That we'd see the purpose of our lives and our relationship with you. 
that it's not about some religious practice or some age-old ritual, but we'd see you. We'd pursue you. So we asked this morning that um, as many people in the room, and I kind of made lighthearted about it, this, that they've, they've, something's been said to them or done to them that, that made them feel l- less spiritual. Um, that legalism has affected them in a way, maybe in, a, in a, 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 a small way, or perhaps some of us in a deep, catastrophic way. Free us this morning. And help us to see that you are a God who frees us, doesn't bind us, doesn't put us down but lifts us up, doesn't give us death but brings us life. So God, I just ask that that would be clear this morning through your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. So in the fourth grade, I... uh, I was in Mrs. Maynard's class. Now, I was at a, a small Christian school, and I had the advantage, or in, I think maybe in, in a lot of ways, a disadvantage of my mom being the teacher down the hall in a different classroom. And so there's like this level of uh, being sent to the principal's office versus maybe being sent to your mom's classroom. Like there's a, it's like a whole nother level. Um, and I'm not even sure which was worse. And it, luckily it didn't happen that often. It should have happened a lot more. But my teacher was, was pretty cool. And, and, and I had this like mischievous spirit about me where, where no, I was a bad kid. I, I'll just put it right up front. Like if you told me to do one thing, I did the other. And there was, there was this opportunities where if it made the class laugh or if it made light of something that seemingly serious, especially if I sensed that she was like in a bad mood, that was not a good situation because I'd try to fix it and end up actually making it worse. And then it was just a disaster. But what I realized is that no matter what I did mischievously or like whatever, and I'd get recess taken away, which is honestly, I mean, if there's a principal's office and then there's like being sent to your mom's classroom, don't take my recess away. Are you kidding me? And did you know that some schools don't have recess anymore? Isn't that ridiculous? That's a total side rabbit trail. But I'm just glad that I'm not in school anymore. That's my thing. Um, but recess, you take that away, or I have to sit my, with my head down. Are you kidding me? Because if I put my head down, then I can't see, like, all my friends around me. So I'd be, like, doing this, and I just would cause lots of trouble at my school. But I realized that no matter what I did, a lot of times, if I, like, all she wanted, essentially, was for me to obey the rules, right? You've been there. Like, but I was the farthest thing from teacher's pet. <laughs> Oh, man. Like, if there's a teacher's pet, there's the other side. Like, I'm way on the other side, right? But I did also understand and value that I wanted to be in with the teacher. Like, I wanted her to like me. I wanted favor. I wanted her to see me. And, like, when there's an opportunity where she could smash me like a bug, that she'd give me grace, right? Like, so I wanted in. So I felt like the way to do that was to, 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 to pursue that. And so one day I remember specifically this, this friend who's a still friend to this day, um, at the time, seemed like an adversary because she was now in competition with me. She brought this thing called an apple to the teacher. Now, she put it on the desk. Now, I don't know what it is if there's teachers in the room. What is it? Like, do you like apples? Like, what's the, what's the correlation? That's not, it's just a question. I don't know, like, but anyway, she brought an apple. She put it on the desk, and that seemed to, like, up the ante. Okay. All right, you're going to try to get in with... No, like, watch me, all right? So I had to kind of authenticate this story through my mother this week. I don't remember a lot of details. In fact, I don't remember much of school at all, um, unfortunately. But I do remember experiences like this. So I came in, and I got her a, an apple bell. What's up? What's up? Yes, you got her an apple that's going to rot, but I got her an apple bell. Now, a bell was significant in Mrs. Maynard's class. It wasn't just like a bell. It was like, it was her gavel. 
Like, when she rang the bell, like, I can still hear it. Like, you had a, like, everyone paid it. You stopped what you're doing. No one's talking anymore. No one's in trouble. Nothing, right? You pay attention because the bell has been rung. So I got an Apple bell that every time she would ring it, she would think of me, right? And she would know that in some strange way, I brought order to the class, right? Even though it was probably my disorder and my dysfunction that caused her to ring the bell. But you see how I'm playing the game, right? Until one day, I remember she literally, like, I thought, this is it. I'm in, and you're not. I got this. You don't. Sit down, you know? Like, I was, is my thing. She was out in the hall. She was talking to someone. Class was disruptive. So guess what I did? I took the liberty to sneak up to the desk, and I'm going to grab the bell, being funny guy, and grabbing, I grabbed, there's like a little wire stem that's the handle. Well, I grabbed the leaf, and I started shaking the bell, and the leaf broke, and the bell, 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 bell. This class is like, <gasps> and of course she heard that, and I like ran to my seat. But I realized in that moment that like nothing I could do could actually get me out of trouble. Like, I got out of my seat, I was disrupted, I did everything against what she had said, right? Even though every one of my meager attempts was to bring favor to myself based on what I did, right? I know that sounds really silly, but that's exactly what we try to do. No, no, no. That's exactly what we do to God. Christians, non-Christians, every person that's lived, even like following other false gods, um, imaginary gods, or some level of if I do this, if I jump here, if I give there, if I, if I do this thing, then God will look down on me and the light will shine and he will give me favor, right? It's this whole idea of offering something to God so that he would ultimately offer everything to us. Christianity is kind of like this backwards thing. It's actually not us offering God anything. It's actually God offering himself to us, right? Like this is the gospel. This is Jesus that came and he offered his life, gave his life, and he died on a cross to offer you everything, all of himself for eternity, redemption, and forgiveness of your sins. Sounds like a pretty good deal, right? But yet, in that, we do this thing. Like, we, we buy apples. We do things to offer to God. We go to church. We give money. We, we serve the poor. We help people. And like, we're commanded to do this. We're, we're told to do this. We're encouraged to do this. We see Jesus' example of how he does this. But yet, we're doing it with the total wrong heart. At times, we're doing this to gain acceptance with God. And that is like the farthest thing from the gospel. Jesus is our acceptance. Jesus put himself in a spot so that you don't have to put yourself in that spot. You see, the law was given, which we're going to get to a little bit more in a moment. But the law was given not to, to show you and I, like, well, I can do it better than you. Or I can try to do it um, better than I used to. The law was given to us to show us that we absolutely, positively cannot do it. But why Jesus came was he fulfilled that law. So that by our faith in God, or faith in Jesus, gives us a path, a clear open door to a holy God. Does that make sense? And we get this. Like maybe uh, logically, like you're like, hey man, I got you, Pastor Corey. I got you. I understand where you're going. But like what happens is, is in the American, no, in the global church, even before Pentecost, even before like the church launched, the Holy Spirit was saying, even before all that, here in this story, in this moment, they were trying to do the same thing. They were trying to add to what God had already given. And so much so that people were, people died by it. I know that was really bad English, but people were killed because of that. They missed the boat. Um, they fell short. So here we are. We're in this story. We're in this dinner uh, where Jesus was invited after he was speaking to a Pharisee's house. Um, 
And it says that when he was reclined at the table, when he was sitting at the table, um, the Pharisee was astonished by something Jesus did. What did Je- it wasn't so much what Jesus did, it was what Jesus didn't do. He was astonished and, and ticked off because Jesus didn't wash. He didn't wash his hands. And it goes on and on. Like, that sets the tone for the rest of the thing. Now, like, before we go any further, I need to point out the fact that, like, guys, I promise you, this has nothing to do with dirt. This has nothing to do with dirty hands. This was not why the guy was ticked. He wasn't like, oh, you're getting dirt all over the table. Ah, like that bread, or that is just sticking right to your hand. Oh, you're going to put, oh, he's going to put dirt in his mouth. Oh, no. Like, it's not like that. It's not the same mindset of, like, I know ladies, like, sometimes when you cook, and, like, somebody's like, oh, this is so good. You're like, yeah, I put too much salt in it. Or, you like, you tell the little flaws of it, because you want them to experience this thing that you've created, this, like, beautiful thing that's awesome and it tastes great, right? You, you get, you understand what's in it. That is not what's happening here. Washing of the hands for the Jews, and specifically as the Pharisees were setting out, this was a ritual that they did that had everything to do with cleanliness, like, like inward cl- like cleanliness, that you're ceremonially washing your hands that shows a sign of honor, that shows a sign of, I got it all together. Now, where did this come from? Where did this come from? Like, the law was given in the Old Testament. Like, and we know the law is in, like, the Ten Commandments. And there's all these expounding uh, laws that kind of flow out of the Ten Commandments, specifically in Leviticus, and how to offer sacrifices, and how to live your life, and what to wear, and what not to wear. But again, remember I said, like, those were not given so that you can just keep them all, and you can live in a certain way so that you can attain, an, a, a, like, acceptance with God. No, that was to show that you couldn't do it. So therefore, that would force you to do something. Like, if you can't do it, that forced you to say, you know what? Man, I can't do it, but man, I hope God sends down, like, himself to, like, do this. Well, he did. And they believed that would happen. Even when Adam and Eve, center, a piece of fruit was not just the center of my story. The piece of fruit had everything to do with when they ate the fruit in the garden, they knew that they messed it up. And God, I don't know if you noticed this before, but, like, God did this... The most amazing thing is that when we messed it up, when Adam messed it up, what Jesus did to fix it was he made it so that there's no way we can mess it up again. It's like, how many of you, um, how many of you took driver's ed? Okay, I don't know what it's like nowadays or back when I was, um, 16 or whatever uh, in Illinois, they had this the driver's ed car and like the, the guy is in the passenger seat and it's like the big day and you're behind the wheel and you're like so nervous. You're like, nothing in my life will be more challenging than this moment, right? You're at that spot. And, and they have this thing over on their side in the, in the floor. I don't know what it's called, but it's essentially a brake. Like, in case you're, like, getting ready to run over someone and you're not trained properly yet or, like, you understand, like, from books to, like, practical, practical like, everyday on-the-job going, like, they put the brakes on, right? And there's this, there's this, this exchange that's happened. Anybody um, in driver's ed uh, ever got braked by your instructor? Wow, guys, really? That many of you? That's amazing. Um, I did not. Um, I don't think I did. I'm probably totally not remembering that part, I'm sure. But nonetheless, what happens is your driver decides in that moment that you cannot control this car anymore in some way, shape, or form. And he then takes control of it and he puts the brakes on, right? He takes over and he makes the responsibility on him. Does that make sense? That's a pretty basic thing. That's exactly what happened. When, when God said, don't eat of the fruit, he gave them the opportunity to experience all that they could in the garden. They walked with God. They talked with God. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no sickness. None of that. They had it all, but they were not supposed to eat of this fruit. Because when they ate of this fruit, it would completely reveal that not only did they disobey God, but it would completely reveal that there's more to this and that there is another way. Because Satan and his angels already chose another way that stiff-armed God and it separated them from God. And if they ate this fruit, it would do the very same thing to them. And you know the story. And so they did eat the fruit. 
They stiff-armed God. And you know what? In that moment, God in his grace, in the very next chapter, he sends this beautiful message that he says, someday um, I'm sending a, a, a redeemer, a Messiah, that will actually fix it. It was that moment where the instructor hit the brakes. He says, your responsibility to, to, to like redeem yourself is now off of your plate, and it's now on my plate. Jesus took that responsibility. But why do we keep taking the responsibility back? Why do we say on Sunday, Jesus, you are sovereign, strong. You are glory to you like you saved me. You forgave me. You died for me. You rose for me. You've made a way for me to be with God. And then like seemingly our, our fleshly minds go so quickly into trying to work our way to God. Why does this happen? Well, I believe it actually happens because of us. Because of pastors. Because of priests. Because of spiritual leaders that have told you, that have led you in the wrong way. You see, my job is to present the gospel that it's by grace through faith, not of works. But you want to know the two most powerful words in, in, I think, like, the world? Spiritual authority. Dangerous. Obviously, like, part of my job, like, hopefully you don't see me as dangerous. Hopefully that's not what you experience at Conduit. That's, I'm like the elephant in the room. Hopefully this is not, none of these things are happening here. But you know and I know, if you've been a part of the church for more than five minutes, um, you know and I know that there's been these opportunities where spiritual authority, whether it's a pastor or a priest or a mom or a dad or a Christian teacher or whatever, where they said, you must do X, Y, you must wear X, Y, and you must go and you must give and you must do in order for God to really bless your life. Like if you're really spiritual enough, you're going to do this. If you're really in the game, if you're really on the Jesus train, like this is what your life's going to look like. And man, if you do that, God's just going to bless you. That's jacked up. That's legalism. That's legalism. And like, I'm not saying that like, um, I, told, um, I told my wife last night, like, I'm not an angry person, but I get angry about this kind of thing. Um, namely because I've seen it in, be detrimental to other people's lives. Um, it's been detrimental to my life. When people were in that spot where they're supposed to say, this is the way to grace, this is the way to freedom, this is what it means to be forgiven of your sins. And you know what? I sinned too. Instead of that, they try to give you an opportunity to accomplish something, to work in a way, or to appease like the leader in a way that, that shows them, shows me, shows us that we have to work for it. The work is done. We receive it. And like, there's this whole question of like, man, this is a long intro. There's this whole question of like, um, okay, so are we not supposed to do what's right then? Not at all. Well, no, that, that's, you know what I mean. Like, yes, you're supposed to do what's right, but that's not the point. Jesus is saying that, that this is what it's about. Like, you doing outwardly is not you doing outwardly. It's an overflow of who you are on the inside. Listen to me. You can't be who you are on the outside. You can't. You cannot be who you are on the outside. Like, dress, like, take care of your body. Take care, like, dress up, shower, clean. Like, do all those things. Like, we're not taking away from that. But what Jesus is getting after is the heart. What he's getting after is like, put the light of Christ inside of you and let that shine outwardly and let what you do be an overflow of who you are. That's the point. But these Pharisees were twisting it. Specifically in this moment, they were twisting it on Jesus. They were saying, um, they're coming at him because he didn't wash his hands. Now, like literally for them, they took a law that was, as I explained a minute ago, the law for them was to come to the house of a guest unburdened. That was, that was the law. That was a part of the ceremonial law. It was the idea that I'm going to come to your house without baggage. 
Have you ever been invited to somebody's house for dinner or whatever? And you're like, oh, I can't, man, that salad comes out. After that, man, we're going right for the throat, man. Like, we're going right after the business. And it's the whole idea, the heart of, like, that you shouldn't do that. If they're inviting you to home, like, that not that you shouldn't talk about serious things or deep things, but you're not going with the baggage and ready, like, ready to chop. That was the, the law. But what they did, but what they did, what the Jews did, is they, they made this whole, like, long list that flowed from that, that actually got away from that. And it came to, well, you know what? If we just start this thing where we wash our hands right when they come in the door, and, and if we wash our hands, then it shows that there's no baggage. And then it shows that like, there's no issue, right? Well, but then we can't just wash our hands because then what's like, I mean, what if they squirted disinfectant? I mean, what if they did, like, what, like all these, like, what ifs? Because it's a slippery slope, man. Because if you don't do that, then they're not going to do this. Like, and so we got to put these rules on there because it's a slippery slope. And so they made it so that you had to wash. And I'm not making this up. You had to wash your hands in a certain way. The water had to splash from top, and it had to drip off the bottom. You had to flick a certain amount of times, and you had to do the same. Like, I'm not making this up. And so when you walked in the Pharisees' homes, they had these bowls. Then it has, like, one sink. They had these bowls so that all the guys could line up, and they could do their ritual. And they would do it, and they would do it a certain way. And then Jesus, like, walks right past it, sits down, and starts eating. What are y'all doing? I love this. Because Jesus goes right after the point of it. And he knew. He knew this was going to cause problems. You know what? Because this is actually the same Jesus that, um, and, and if you're like, well, Jesus is just causing trouble. See the heart of this. Well, Jesus is just calling names. Yeah, he calls him a fool. He says, woe to you. He's not just picking fights. He's going after the truth. He's speaking truth. And he's doing it in love, but yet he's doing it pretty boldly. This isn't the first time. In fact, there was a time before where um, in the temple, in the church, what was happening was, um, again, they were still under sacrificial law. And so you're supposed to raise a bull or a goat um, without blemish, and you're going to bring that as a sign of faith to say, you know what, um, I know the Messiah is coming, I know the Redeemer is coming, but I'm going to bring this, this goat or this bull or animal and I'm going to place it in front of the priest, and he's going to um, sacrifice um, this animal. And it's a sign of you saying, the Redeemer hasn't come yet, but he's coming. Right? Does this make sense? So what was happening was, is what God wanted, he wanted you to put the idea of what it looks like to work, and the idea of what it looks like to raise this lamb, and to know what the sacrifice actually is. But what the Pharisees were doing, this is crazy. You know what they were doing? They were doing it on their own. They were, they were contracting out animals that could be raised by farmers, brought to the temple, and so that, you know what, by the way, when you come on into church, you can grab your bull, your goat that you've never met before and just pay the right money, a lot of money, um, actually quite a bit of money, and then you can just bring it right up here, and we'll, we'll take care of that, and you don't have to worry about your sins, you don't have to worry about any, anything of the sort. Do you see how corrupt this is? And then they were pocketing the money. So Jesus comes in, and he comes in angry. Like, this is not the Jesus, the thumbs up, I love you all, you're just all my buddies. This is the Jesus, like, I'm going to kick your tail. He made a whip. He came in, and he took the tables that had all the money all over it, and he flips the table. And he calls them names. And he grabs the whip and he whips them out of the church. Why? Because they were perverting the heart of repentance. They were perverting and then they were pocketing and getting rich off of these people that all they wanted was their sins forgiven. All they wanted was to see and to show God that they believed. All they wanted was to see that someday God's going to send a once-for-all lamb, a once-for-all sacrifice that will eventually, that by faith in that, that lamb, Jesus, that they would be forgiven of all their sins. That's all they wanted. And here was these punks right before all the people, these pastors, these priests, that were leading them the wrong way, that were pocketing the money, that were being dishonest and completely missing the point. Do you see why Jesus is upset? So he didn't wash his hands out of spite. Jesus did something out of spite, yeah. 
He was about his father's business. And we're going to get to why. And I think maybe you already see the reason why. is because legalism is poison. Legalism, it slaps grace in the face. I mean, I mean, just logically, how, how silly is that? Like, you're forgiven, grace is extended, mercy is placed on you, but in order for you to actually have it, officially have it, you have to wear this, you have to do this. In churches, you know, churches shouldn't have certain instruments because some instruments are bad and some instruments are good. Like, how silly is that? But how real is that? Well, you got to wear certain things or certain kinds of clothing. Can't wear denim. Oh, my goodness. And why is that pastor wearing a beanie? Seriously. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I've never, I don't know. I've never seen her giving that bucket. Maybe she's giving on her app. But I don't know. <laughs> That's not how our staff meetings go, I promise. <laughs> But you've been there. And we can make light of it because maybe you've been wounded by that. Um, so when they call Jesus out, like, he goes through the throat of the Pharisees, of the lawyers. He calls them out even on how they give financially. Well, he addresses, like, yeah, you guys do your, you do your, uh, your 10%, your, you give your mint. You give your herbs, you give how you should. But you know what? He says, you, his exact words were, you don't give to the justice. You don't give to the, out of the love of God. You don't give that way. In fact, he goes on further. He says, if you actually gave of your time, your talent, and your treasure from the inside, then you would be clean. But right now, man, you're clean on the outside. You look good on the outside, but inside you are dead. We're dead. Church, hypocrisy. Those two names, like those two words go hand in hand, right? You've heard that put in the same sentence. Like maybe even the fact that you've only been here, maybe this is the first time or maybe the fifth time or whatever, or maybe church in general. Maybe it's because you've been in that boat and I've certainly thought the same thing. Like, man, I want nothing to be, a, like I don't want anything to do with that. If you're going to say something or you're going to act like you're this and then, but really... Like, you're that? Really? I don't, sometimes it's easier just to not be a part of that. So, so what some places do, um, churches do, all over the world, um, is they place these rules. Legalism. They place these things on, like, how you should look, how you should dress, what your wife should really be doing, or what you as a man should be doing or not doing, or all these crazy, like, based on culture, based on certain areas of the country. I'm from the South. I get this. And, like, I understand this. It blows my mind. Are you kidding me? Y'all are making up rules. Now, now, like, the whole, like, the hand-washing thing and the way to do it and the hand-by-hand, -hand, that is not in the Word. But you know what that is in? It's in what Jesus calls in Matthew the tradition of the elders. This is a legit thing. And even to this day, you go to Israel and you see like people dressed a certain way or the hair braided a certain way. It's out of the tradition of the elders. They've taken something that was in the Old Testament, the law, that was supposed to breed a picture of the coming Messiah, and they added all these like baptistical books and books of discipline and rule books and handbooks and all this other crap that we do as humans so that you just fall in line with what should happen and what a Christian should look like. Forget the inside. As long as you look good on the outside, that's what we're after. That's what we're going for. That's legalism. And like, I'm not a woe is me kind of person. I'm not a play the victim kind of person. But I get this. I was raised in a Christian home. I was in church three, four times, every time the door was open, nine months before I was born. I was at every stinking Awana game, Central. I was at every youth group, every Christian camp all summer. I only could listen to Christian music. I like, went to a Christian school all my life, but two years, with the four years of Bible college, the seminary, like the whole, like, I get 
legalism. I, I get the Christian. I get what they're going for. And along the lines, there's all these people, including my parents, including my older brother, including some teachers and coaches, that literally, they knew the heart of God, and they knew the heart of Jesus, and they prepared the way. And when I would mess up, they were the first ones to show up. They were the first ones to say, you know what, you messed up. But guess what? That's why he did that, Right? That's why he did that is so that you can be forgiven, man, and you can have grace, and you can move on. And, like, the desire and the passion that you have for Jesus, man, that's going to make it, like, so you don't want to do that thing again, bud. And I'm going to walk with you along the way. I had tons of people like that. But then I had these other punks, these other people, these other people that had labels like pastors or teachers or coaches that completely clogged the tube. And they saw when I failed. And they said, you're done. Kick him to the curb. What good is he? Man, he I mean, he's from a Christian home. And he did that. That was my life. And I don't know if you can identify, but that broke my heart. And that makes me angry. Because the very people, guys, as parents, men, as fathers, moms, as mothers, as friends, as as people that are trying to, as open house leaders, we're in a spot where we get to help people see the pathway to forgiveness is through faith in Jesus. The, the gates to heaven is, is Jesus. It's faith in him. He rose so that we could rise. The Holy Spirit indwelling and filling us and coming in radically changing power, ultimate supernatural power coming in our lives, doesn't come by you being awesome, by you throwing apples every day. Vinny told me that uh, he used this trick in college and it worked. Like this whole idea that this might work, you think, to get in. It doesn't. The only, the only token that, that God takes, the only key that fits is Jesus. Do you have that key? And that's what Jesus is going after. Like, they're bringing up all this junk about how they wash. Oh, you didn't wash your hands. Man, they, think about this. They just told the Son of God that he wasn't godly enough. Isn't that ridiculous? And if you're, if you're one of those people, maybe um, it's been affected by this, maybe by other churches, um, certainly not in the city, um, but maybe in your life, or maybe somebody that, that claimed to be a, a godly father or godly mother or whatever that's led you, you know what? You know, maybe they're teaching you or leading you from hurt themselves. So my, my point today is not to be angry at them, not to prank call them, um, or worse. That's not my goal, and that's certainly not the heart that Jesus was going after. Jesus just wants you to know the point, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no, no one can go to the Father, God, a holy God, except through, through Jesus. And we are to be a representation of that. And I, I understand, too, the elephant in the room is that Jesus is calling out the corrupt nature of these Pharisees. They were like modern-day priests or pastors. Like, I get the irony in this. And so this forces us, as pastors, to be completely authentic with you and completely real and understand that, man, I sin. I screw it up, I mess it up, I lose my temper, I think things, say things, do things that I am ashamed of. I'm no better than you. We're no better than you. But we're in this weird spot, honestly. It's really kind of awkward spot. Like we have to stand up in front of you every week and kind of like show you the way to go, all while sometimes it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing, you know? Or, oh crap, like you're always on. And so I'm being real with you to just to show you that it's not about you following me or Pastor Ben, or Pastor Cameron, or Quinn, or anybody else that's on this stage. The whole point of it is that we, like even though we're not on level ground right now, we are, we're at the level ground at the foot of the cross. And that the way we get to God is through Jesus. And the way that you're forgiven of your sins is the same way I'm forgiven of my sins confessing it. Man, he's faithful to you just as like he's faithful to me and he's just to you just like he's just to me to forgive me of my sins and your sins 
No matter how bad you may think they are, that's another thing that blows my mind. Today in our culture, speaking of legalism, is that in the church, some sins are like, oh, ho, ho, it's so bad, bring them to the front and make them tell everybody about it. But yet you are as wicked and as rotten as that person that you just brought up front. <clears throat> I remember that happening. I remember this girl in a church growing up paraded to the front and she had to confess um, her sin. It never happened before, and it never happened again. Um, but I remember that was the last time I saw that girl. And so in that camp, there's two ways to go. Either you're the girl, like that girl, that says, I'm out of here. That was ridiculous. Not only did I do that, but I received no love. I received all condemnation from all these people that were supposed to love me and accept me. And I even thought in that moment of vulnerability that they would receive me. I'm out of here. And you know what? I don't want anything to do with this church. I don't want anything to do with the God that you serve. You know, and I could sit here and I could name you personally. Best friends to this day that want nothing to do with God because of a legalistic authority, spiritual authority that was put over them. Specifically, one of my best friends, his name's Aaron. He was my roommate in college. It breaks my heart. I text him all the time. He wants nothing to do with faith and God. This is a guy that followed, I thought, thought he was all in. And he would, he would credit the legalistic environment that we were in that ruined that. And you and I, like, the only thing that makes us different is to be able to discern and know, like, the heart of what Jesus is going after. I can name you name after name after name of people that have felt rejected and despised and they actually felt maybe the same thing that Jesus a little bit like times a thousand went through. But Jesus did that so you didn't have to. And it, it, come, it, it challenges us to have a place of humility to not, to not be like, oh, God's cool with our sin, man. It's not a big deal. Here at Conduit, we celebrate your sin. No, we recognize that God is holy, that God will always be holy, but we also recognize that you sin and you sin and you sin, and that we don't want to, we don't desire to, we want to honor God with our life, we want to give, we want to give of our time, our talent, and our treasure, and in that giving, as Jesus says, like the inside becomes clean, but you know what, we also know that we are real, and we want to be authentic enough to say, when you sin, man, there is an advocate to a holy God, and his name is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you, and he wants to radically change you and radically fill you. And so when you sin, you're actually like pouring water, so to speak, on the, the fire. You're stiff-arming the very nature of, of the Spirit of Christ inside of you. And like, it's not a matter of your disqualification. It's a matter of you missing out on life. The abundant, transforming, joyful life-changing life that God wants to bring and that he gave you through Jesus. And so this is the point of what Jesus is trying to make. So, not to make light of it, <laughs> not to make light of it, but this is a serious issue that we have to see as a real issue. Sin. Confess our sin. He's able. He's faithful. He's just. He's good. He's merciful. He's gracious to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and to give you this supernatural desire to not want to do that again. By pursuing him, by running after him, it's not a matter of all of your work of running and all the running and all the running after God. It's not to give you this like, sweet, I'm even closer to God and his light's about to shine, man, on my family, on my life. No, no, no. It's about the understanding that your pursuit of him it's just an overflow of what he's already done inside. And so that's why Jesus says in verse 41, it says, give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. He's saying, like, outside, you guys look great, Pharisees. Like, you guys got it all together. You're in the right place at the right time. Like, you look so spiritual to everybody. But you know what? Inside, you're dead. But you know what actually will clean and, and make the inside come alive? Jesus is saying, like, give of everything you have 
from the inside. Because you know what? You can't be who you are on the outside. You can only be who you are on the inside. And this blew my mind this week. And I'm thinking about it and talking to the Lord about it. And I'm like, all right. This came to mind is like, they say that character, the definition of character is what? It's, the, it's, it's who you are when no one's around, right? And so like immediately we're like, oh, okay, well, I'm not who I should be when no one's around. I don't do the right thing, I think the right thing, I see the right, whatever it is. Like, uh, and you could chalk that up to like you lack character, but I want to take it a step further. Who you are when nobody's around is who you are. Who you are when no one is around is actually who you are you are. And as scary and as daunting as that may seem, God doesn't want you to stay that way. And he's not like, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, start doing right when no no, no one's around, always do the right thing. No, he's like, let me come inside of you, Let 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 me fill you, let me change you, let me radically transform who you are. And how does he do that? Like in the previous verses, he defines that. He defines that light is him. And no one hides the light under a bushel. No, you're going to let it shine, right? And the whole idea is that that light is our eyes, but not eyes that see outward. Jesus teaches right before these verses that he is the eye, the lamp to the inside of our bodies. And when we let Jesus be the lamp to the inside of our bodies, like, like every room in our heart, everything that we've done, everything that's been done to us, when we let him shine, everything is exposed. And those most beautiful thing happens. He begins to bring healing inside. And in that letting him shine, letting him be the eyes to shine, it naturally overflows outwardly. Sounds really simple, right? It is simple. It's not complicated. It doesn't mean it's easy. But it's not a complicated thing. In fact, it's probably one of the hardest things we'll actually do is to let the Holy Spirit actually transform our lives. But it's not our heavy lifting. He did the work. And anything short of that is legalism. Anything short of that spits in the face of the finished work of the cross. Jesus says, it is finished, right? He didn't say it's almost finished. He didn't say, like, I did my part, now it's your turn. He says, it is finished. And by your faith, you can be with a holy God. So Jesus um, calls out and gives the woes to the Pharisees, to the spiritual leaders, to the lawyers. Um, (laughs) Man, I'd love to be a fly on the wall. He addresses so much, but at verse 53, I want you to see that. As he went, it says, As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him. They began to press him and provoke him to speak about many things. Um, like the bigger picture here is that they... Um, they were plotting to kill him. This isn't the first time. I mean, as Jesus was a baby, like they, the world, us, we plotted to kill him. And even in this moment, they plotted to do away with Jesus. They plotted to cover his mouth. They plotted because they knew in their hearts that what Jesus was saying was true. They knew that what Jesus was doing was he was stepping on the tradition of the elders. He was stepping on the book of rules, the handbook. And he was going back to the law. And he was saying, it's not even about the law. It's about me fulfilling that law, freeing you, and setting you to a place where you can be with the Holy God. So my desire this morning as we go um, is the same, I guess it's the same desire that I had for myself in reading this. Um, that I would be who I say I'm going to be. That I'd be real enough with my own life, my own heart, my own mind, with my own family, as I am with you. That I'd be the same person there that I am up here. 
And that challenge is the same to you. And this is not some self-help. Hey, just be yourself. Just be who you are on the inside. Like, get something better than self-help. It's the whole idea of letting God, letting Jesus come into your life. Let him shine to every part of who you are so that you don't have to try to be who you are on the outside. It's impossible to be who you are on the outside. And Jesus is not saying, don't worry about, don't worry about doing. Don't worry about that at all. Like, what he's really getting at is who you are on the inside produces what you do on the outside. Who you are on the inside produces who you are on the outside. Let this be a church that doesn't just receive anybody and everybody, but may this be a church, as I believe it is, that follows through. That follows through with the gospel. That follows through with this idea that he can forgive you of all of your sin. That he can prepare a way as he's done for me. That we are a family. That this is not some strange hierarchy and you got to do it this way and it's got to look this way. How about it just look like the only book that we do go by? The gospel. From Genesis to Revelation, it reveals the idea and the greater purpose of what God wants for us. Does he want us, in the end, to just keep a bunch of rules? No! How weird and strange is that? Because it almost, like, you could be even in places, and I've been there. I've been to, like, churches. I've been a part of places that, like, you just feel like you're, oh, I'm just a robot. Like, if I wear this and I do this, then I got it all together. And that's not it at all. That was not the heart of God. He wanted us to see that there's no way that we could do it, no matter what you look like on the outside. So what he really wants is what he wanted to begin with. He wants our hearts. He wants your heart. And he wants you to be totally surrendered to him. And he wants you to see that in your heart, it's not just you offering all that you are, it's him offering already, meeting you where you are, so that he can begin to like explore and to shine light and to heal all the places in our heart that the world has broken apart or that we've allowed to let us to, to be broken apart. And so my invitation to you today is to be who God has created you to be. Don't just be your inner self. Be your inner self of Jesus, how he's shining, and how he's shining out through you. You can't be who you are on the outside. Although I love who you are on the outside. I'm not taking that away. Be who God's created you to be on the inside. And then give of all you got. Time, talent, treasure. Outwardly do because of who you are on the inside. Let's pray.